Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom Block with you. KJ will be along. This will be a best of show as we get set to ring in the new year. Thanks to you, uh, the listener and the diehard Seminole fan for sticking with us over the years. We appreciate it, especially this year. We all know it's been a tough year. We're ready to turn the page and we will do that very soon. So I'll I'll wish you and yours uh, the happiest of New Year's and I'll set the table for what's coming up today. Uh, We'll hear from David Hale. Uh, an encore performance, if you will, from last week, but just the portion where he previews the Heisman Trophy race and also the college football playoffs, which take place later this week, obviously. Then Mark Daniels joins us. If you missed that interview, Mark is the voice of UCF, and he tells us what Florida State should expect in Mackenzie Milton. That interview is from mid-December or shortly after that news break that Milton was coming to FSU. You'll enjoy that interview if you've not had a chance to listen to it yet. Then we'll turn back the clock a couple months uh, prior to that, Somewhere in October, Devin Travis, the former Seminole second baseman, joined us not to talk baseball, but to talk about his brother, Jordan. And that's a fascinating interview as well. And speaking of Seminole baseball, Mike Martin Jr. uh, was along once fall ball wrapped up for Florida State. And we'll re-air that interview, uh, get a feel for what he expects as baseball season is not too far in the distant future. Finally, I know he's ready to get it going after his uh, inaugural campaign was cut way, way short. So that's all straight ahead. Uh, again, you'll hear those interviews uh, over the next hour. Uh, obviously, just uh, stating the obvious, I know you guys are aware of what happened with the basketball team last night. Disappointing loss for Florida State. Uh, areas of concern starting to develop. I'm not going to go into them now, but I think really what this is, is you've got growing pains from a team that lost an awful lot, guys that are in the NBA, And they're trying to fit the new parts and pieces in, and they're not there yet, which is not uncommon for a Leonard Hamilton team. So stick with it. Big opportunity coming up Saturday night against Duke. And uh, hopefully by the time Keith and I are back together for this show next week, uh, we'll have happier basketball news to, to discuss. That said, though, again, let me take you back. David Hale, most of you know him from ESPN. He joins Jeff Cameron quite frequently. He joined uh, KJ and I last week on Front Row Knowles. We went over the college football playoff, what works, what doesn't. I'm not going to re-air that portion, but we will get his take once again on the Heisman Trophy finalists and also on how the college football playoffs 
figure to shake out later this week. So with that said, here's the conversation, at least a portion of it, with ESPN's David Hale. David, let's finish with the easy stuff. Who's going to win the Heisman? And you may be a voter, so you can't disclose who you voted for if that's the case, I guess. And who's going to win the national title? I am a voter, uh, so I cannot disclose. I will tell you, I think it's very fascinating because I can't remember the last year we had this many viable candidates that you could make. You know, I think you have to kind of really stretch to make some some arguments and some cases for guys a lot of years. This year, if you wanted to pick Trevor Lawrence because he's the best player in college football, even if his numbers don't suggest it, I'm right there with you. Kyle Trask and Mac Jones both have incredible numbers that I think would warrant serious consideration. Um, one just played on a team that lost a couple more games, but the numbers are pretty much the same. Then you can look at, at uh, Devontae Smith, for example, and say like, well, Mac Jones is as good as he is because of Devontae Smith, except also he's got that guy Najee Harris in the backfield too, who probably has a really good case. Uh, I watched a guy play last night named Zach Wilson for BYU who has been as impressive as any college quarterback that I have seen this year that I think if he was playing on a power five team might be the winner. Um, I, I can't remember a year where we've had this many guys that legitimately warrant consideration. I won't be shocked to see it go in any number of ways. I think it's probably going to come down to Devonte Smith, Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones. And it's just kind of a matter of what priorities the voters are, are going to See, I think if, if Trevor Lawrence had played in that first Notre Dame game, we might not be having this conversation. I wouldn't be surprised if he was the front runner, but he didn't. So here we are because it's, and if, if Florida it's, hadn't thrown a shoe, we might be having another conversation. <laughs> Ain't that true? Well, see, and, and yet no one is talking about Marco Wilson as a Heisman. And that was a phenomenal throw. I mean, he got real leverage under that, got some real air under it. It's um, the best that, shoe throw I've ever seen in that situation. I mean, when you... <laughs> Couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, national title, man, it's hard for me to say. Uh, I look at the, the semifinals. I will be shocked if, if Alabama doesn't win. I just The matchup does not favor Notre Dame anywhere. Um, I, I, I think Alabama wins that one pretty easily. Uh, the, the thing about the, the Sugar Bowl, I look at and I say, we just don't know that much about Ohio State right now. I know how talented a lot of their players are. But they have, they've only gotten on the field six times. There's been breaks in between a lot of those games. Um, they remind me a little bit of what I saw out of Clemson leading into the first Notre Dame game, which was a team that had just not gotten all of its ducks in a row because they hadn't been able to stay healthy and on the field. So, um, you know, if you look at, at Clemson after that first Notre Dame game, you'd say, well, I don't know if they're winning their national championship. Well, then you look at them after last weekend when they just utterly throttled Notre Dame and you say, oh, that's the team I thought they were supposed to be all year. I still think Ohio State can get to that, oh, that's the team I thought they can be. So I, I don't think they're a pushover in the Sugar Bowl by any means. I, I'm more than likely going to end up picking Clemson. I think if it gets to a Clemson-Alabama matchup, I actually like Clemson's chances this year a good bit. A, they've got the better quarterback, and I, and I know Mac Jones has had a phenomenal year. Trevor Lawrence is, is a much better player than that, in my opinion. And, and B, I think there's a little bit of Alabama's defense that I'm not going to say they're bad. They're just not at Alabama level that we would expect. And they've played four decent offenses this year, and all four of them had pretty good days, including Ole Miss and Florida, who by far are the two best that they played, who both put up 40-plus against them. So uh, I think there's a little more of an opening for Clemson to move the football against Alabama than, uh, you know, that, that's really where I see the advantage, that and a quarterback. So um, if you're asking me pick somebody to win it all right now, I, I'm leaning Clemson, though I also think they probably have the much tougher 
semifinal matchup. I knew you were a Clemson fan at heart, David. That's why we brought you. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> David Hale from ESPN joined us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Happy holidays, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, y'all. Thanks, David. Front Row Knowles right after this. On Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. Let's open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And say hello to a guy that we've known for a long time, gentlemen, uh, everybody in the Central Florida area or affiliated with the University of Central Florida is going to be familiar with Mark Daniels. Uh, we know him going way back. Mark, good to see you, first of all. Uh, we're doing this via Zoom. I guess our listeners can't see it, but uh, I hope all is well for, for you and yours in, in the Central Florida area. We're doing good. Thank you for having me. You bet. And I know you've been uh, probably your phone, you've been receiving texts from, from numbers you don't recognize this week, people wanting your insight on what Florida State uh, is getting in, in Mackenzie Milton. So I guess I'll start there. And just to kind of narrow it down as a starting point, if I give you the chance to, to hit, hit us with three adjectives of what Mackenzie is, let me hear them. Uh, smart, passionate, dynamic. Uh, one of the smartest uh, football players I've ever seen. Uh, dynamic that, uh, you know, on the field can do things that you can't coach. Uh, passionate because uh, to, to fight through what he's fought through, to still continue to, to, to live out a dream is remarkable and easy to uh, appreciate and fall in love with the story. Mark, he played high school ball in Hawaii. Short synopsis, how did he get to Orlando? <laughs> well, as he's uh, uh, on track to break every one of two his passing records in Hawaii, uh, Scott Frost invited him to one of the quarterback camps at Oregon. And uh, when he was up there flinging it around, he wasn't a guy that they thought would be among the better names there. And all of a sudden they're like, Who, who's this 5'10-ish, 160-pound guy just flinging it? And uh, got a closer look, and and uh, Scott Frost said, I think that's the best quarterback here. He wasn't the four- or five-star guy that everyone was paying attention to. And then shortly thereafter, Scott left to take the job uh, at, you know, at UCF, and, and one of the first phone calls he made was to play, and he was like, wow, all the way to Orlando, and – you know, the rest they say is history. And then McKenzie's the reason why Dylan Gabriel's here. So talk about your ultimate 30 for 30. What if I told you two quarterbacks would, you know, uh, two quarterbacks would break all of Tua's record and travel across the globe to go to Orlando, Florida. Who would believe that? We're talking with Mark Daniels. I pointed out in our first segment, but he is the longtime voice of the UCF Knights. So you mentioned Dylan there. What does it say about McKenzie that as he comes back, rather than compete there, against his friend who's sort of entrenched now as the starter that he's willing to move somewhere else and and maybe part of it is fresh start uh, I mean I'll let you elaborate on that a little bit but I think it's it's unique and it's certainly it's uh, it's working out well for Florida State well you know I, I'm in the group that thinks that uh, uh, McKenzie's last great a decision as a teammate was to do what he did. Uh, this isn't something that happened during a bye week in November. This is something that, uh, you know, he recognized 
the last couple of months that he was going to face a decision. I want to play. If I want to play, can I play here? And if we go through that process, what does that mean? What does that mean to me? What does that mean to Coach Heupel? What does it mean to Dylan Gabriel? And he understands, and, and he and Dylan are, are older brother, younger brother of sorts, that Dylan had entrenched himself, and it would be difficult. It would be difficult for, for, for all parties involved. You know, the first time somebody throws an interception, the first time someone leads you on a big drive, and you're looking over your shoulder, is that healthy? Is that healthy for Dylan Gabriel? Um, so I think all those things helped McKinsey reach a point that he felt, maybe the best thing for me is to go find someplace else to go. Dylan's entrenched himself. He's got 59 touchdowns in two years. He's certainly uh, uh, played extremely well, and I think that ultimately led for uh, you know McKinsey to say, um, I think it's best if I go find someplace, sell somebody, go find a place that's comfortable for me. Um, I don't know what would have happened if they tried to make it work. I think it would have been really hard. And I think Dylan had earned the right to say, I, I, I don't want to share a role with somebody. I, I, I played two years as a starter and I want to continue to play. Yeah, I find it very, very interesting. I think our listeners will as well. It has been reported in the local media, but McKenzie was 3-0 and against Norvell. And I'm sure when he picked up the phone and called Coach Norvell, that was a call he was willing to take because he's seen him up close and personal. Yeah, I mean, you see it prior to the uh, past season's one-point loss. It beat Memphis 14 straight times. And, and as you mentioned, McKenzie three times. But McKenzie, who understands offenses, uh, saw what Coach Norvell was running at Memphis, understood uh, what he was trying to do and, and, and played with some really good quarterbacks there. So I think the familiarity, um, uh, you know, uh, certainly helped. And, um, you know, an opportunity to play matters for McKenzie. Look, we all don't know the answer to the question. It, 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 it's not you guys know this. It's not can he take a hit? Can he take a lot of hits? You don't play quarterback at any level of college football or anywhere without getting hit a lot. And that's still the, uh, uh, you know, the great unknown. But as far as opportunity to play with a quarterback room that his experience, I think, can certainly help um, play at a high level and uh, with some familiarity with Coach Norvell and the system he wants, I think was a big factor. There's some other things here, guys, that came into play. There's a timeline that McKinsey wanted. I mean, you guys know the transfer portal now, I think, has about 600 players. I think it's about 40 quarterbacks in there. So he wanted to find a place that he can start the semester in January, get entrenched in the offseason program, be there for spring. And there may have been some other programs that were interested but wanted more time. And I don't think McKinsey wanted to let this drag out a little bit. That may have been a big factor that led to the decision at Florida State. At the same time, was the market that big? Was there uh, um, a pool of power five brands that wanted McKenzie? Were there concerns about his health? So I think he pushed the timeline to say, look, I want to make a decision sooner than later. And that may have been a big advantage for Florida State. The million dollar question is, is he healthy? I know he was running the scout team. Physically, do we think he's 100%? At some point, you have to cross the mental hurdle of taking that first hit. But physically, is he back or do we just not know? Well, uh what we do know is this, everything that you need to do, aside from getting hit, McKenzie Milton has been able to do. Um, UCF had the best scout team quarterback in the country. Um, now, <laughs> understand what that meant. But to do the things of being able to run, cut, throw, and things like that, McKenzie has shown the ability of doing that. Now, knowing that there's not a pass rush that's trying to hit you is something else. But physically, to be able to do those things, I think the answer is yes. But Tom and Keith, the, you know, the unknown is when you know you've got guys that are trying to come and hit you and are legally allowed to do that, that's different. And only he knows mentally what that's going to be like. Even if doctors come along and say, hey, 
uh, you're fine to play. He still has to go and endure that process. And barring him being hit between now and September 5th against Notre Dame, I don't know if anybody will know that. His mental makeup, his emotional uh, maturity is something that has been talked about. He, he is a very in control, very uh, aware, uh, pre-snap reads, post-snap reads. His ability to understand and process information is one of the big things I've heard from folks that have been around him. You've seen him. I assume that is accurate and, and very uh, evident when he's on the field. Keith, I think he's uh, the best pre-snap quarterback, not only that I think I've seen at UCF, but 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 of all the years that I've uh, been doing football and seen some really good quarterbacks, he has that knack that it's hard to teach. But, um, you know, nobody huddles. But, 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 I mean, when you get to the line, everybody sometimes does to check the sideline. But, you know, McKenzie is such a student of, uh, of studying film that by the time he looks, he, he's got a pretty good idea. Um, and, and, and then on top of that, it's not just the pre-snap read, it's – after that ball is snapped, if the defense has tried to change something, he's so good at adjusting to know what those options are. And um, the ability of rolling out in the pocket, not just give up and, and, and run, but to stay there, be patient, let your receivers help you. It's what's remarkable about him. And then his flick, that just little flick. I mean, if you're looking for the prototypical quarterback uh, mechanics, you're not going to get that with McKenzie. You're going to get that little flick, and you go, did he just flick that thing 40 yards into double coverage at the right spot or the right back shoulder throw? That's what the healthy McKenzie Milton was all about. Mark, correct me if I'm wrong here, but his first year was 2016, and that followed the winless season. Is that correct? He came in as a starter, and, and you went from winless to 6-7. and seven. Does that sound right? It is. Scott Frost made a decision early on in the year. We had a returning quarterback in Dustin Holman, and I think Scott just said, listen, it's time for me to make that change, and I'm going to go with somebody that I think can be who my offense needs to be uh, led by. And uh, McKenzie had his moments as a freshman. He, he uh, had an incredible game. He lost a double overtime game to Maryland, but he was like, whoa, what is that? I mean, made some mistakes, but you saw some flashes there. And, and then, guys, the backside of that freshman year was a struggle. We, 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 we lost the bowl game, finished six and seven. He thought about transferring. He thought about going back to Hawaii. He went back to think about it. Didn't maybe have the best relationship with his offense offensive line when the year ended felt like maybe he needed to have a little bit more respect and then came back and and you kind of wonder what it was going to be like and then early in that year that you know UCF went up and blew out Maryland and you began to go okay I'm starting to see and and, and then the leadership role grew and he didn't have to do it alone Shaquem Griffin was on that roster he kind of played also that leadership role that helped McKenzie but as the year went along you just began to see that's something special uh, both as a leader and quarterback Talking with the longtime voice of UCF, Mark Daniels. Uh, I, I want to ask you a basketball question or two here in a moment because FSU plays UCF Saturday. But what what else maybe that you haven't seen in the in the stories, whether you know Mike Bianchi in Orlando or, or nationally, should Florida State folks be aware of with McKenzie that we haven't touched on? Um, he's just a great person. I've been fortunate to get to know McKenzie over his years here, both his time as a player and to watch him during the rehab and have an incredible appreciation for this journey. It's, it, it, you know, it, it's harder than people think. He had setbacks and infection that he had that Andrew Adelson wrote about, uh, put him back six months. I knew about that. Uh, many times he kind of wondered, what am I doing? Should I not try to do this? So I have an incredible appreciation and respect for the person that has fought through this. So they're going to get somebody that's just a, a great guy that while walking on campus, you wouldn't know his football ability. 
but plays with incredible passion. Um, look, I've said this uh, uh, several times of late. Um, I will be incredibly jealous of someone that I idolize, that being Gene Deckerhoff, that Gene looks like he'll be the guy to call the moment McKenzie Milton returns to the football field. And if it wasn't me, I'm glad it's Gene Deckerhoff because of how much I love Gene. Um, it'll be a great moment. Uh, I root for McKenzie. I have nothing but respect for him and his family and, and, and hope that it uh, you know, leads to a great year. One last thing on him, and correct me if I'm wrong, he's 23. He's not an 18-year-old. I mean, he's yep. a mature kid. He's not Chris Winkie. Yep. <laughs> Only Chris showed up at 26. Yeah. But uh, he is very much the veteran. Yeah, no, uh, uh, he'll command respect. Um, you know, look, I know Florida State's got some talented quarterbacks coming back on the roster. I think it, 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 if it works as Mike Norvell wants, he's a perfect transition guy he's a perfect leader in that quarterback room and on the field he'll earn their respect uh, quickly if he can perform at the level that he hopes to do that and they're getting somebody that has uh, a lot of experience Keith not just life as a football player but an appreciation of what he's gone through the last couple of years that he's matured and I think understands uh, what that's all about. back to Front Row Knowles, Tom and Keith Jones with you as we continue the conversation about Florida State football. Who better to break that down than a former Florida State baseball player, Devin Travis, who joins us now via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Hey, Devin, how are you? Tom, Keith, I'm good. How y'all doing? Doing great. You know, uh, we're going to talk about your brother, obviously, but let's talk about you first. Uh, you know, are you, are you still – are you still chasing the, the pro ball dreams or is that ship sailed for you now? And I, I know you've had injury problems at the big league level. I hate to start on that note, but just kind of update our, our listeners and the FSU fans where you are. Yeah, it, uh, it's definitely been a long, tough road. Uh, injuries have kind of been the, the, the things that have snake bit me really throughout my career. And uh, I'm still chasing after it. Um, I, uh, I know I'd be remiss long term if I didn't drop every every ounce of my, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, and you know everything that I've, you know, chased after my whole life. Everything I've always wanted to be uh, was a baseball player, and uh, it's been tough. Uh, my knee's still grinding a bit. I still go to rehab almost every day, but um, yeah, I'm gonna keep chasing after it, and hopefully, I can get healthy enough by spring training. And if not, uh, unfortunately, it might be time to uh, to check out what's next. Well, I think you're smart. You don't want to ten years from now, twenty years from now, you don't want to say I should have given it, you know, one more ounce of energy. So, so exhaust everything you've got right now. I do want to comment just anecdotally, Devin, that I always enjoyed when you and I spent some time together because I was announcing the games when you were playing for Mike Martin, and uh, you were one of the most personable, always smiling, uh, fun to be around players, and I appreciated that. And I hope that you still have that, even though you've been battling some adversity in terms of injuries. Um, what, what do you miss about your Florida State days? Yeah, I appreciate that, Tom. I, uh, I tell everybody, and, and it, most people, I don't want to say don't believe me, but they find it hard to believe, is I would, I would trade. You know, I had five years in the big leagues, and 
I would trade every single second of that. If someone could promise me that I could be a career long um, college athlete, I, I truly believe that it's the purest form of baseball. It's the purest form of, of, of friendship and, and, and teamsmanship. And, you know, every single day you, you suit up in a Seminoles uniform, you know, we looked at, you know, what was around us in that locker room and, and all the visits to Omaha and, and being able to play for 11 and, and being able to play behind so many guys that um, have really created and, and, and turned Florida State into to what it is. Um, I would trade anything to go back. I mean, me, Sherman Johnson, Jace Boyd, uh, Hunter Scantling, James Ramsey, I, I think about my memories on the field and, 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 and not so many of them are, are, are accomplishments. It's more so the, the relationships that we've built um, and their lifelong relationships. And, you know, that's something that's hard to find in baseball. And FSU has always done such a big and great job of, of preaching family and what that means. And um, I know for me, that's why, um, you know, I literally bleed the garnet and gold and talking bad about FSU is like talking bad about my mom. And um, now that my little brother's there, um, it's really just extended my love and passion for it. So I miss everything about it, man. I'd, I'd do anything to be able to play one more game in front of, in front of those fans. Devin, have you been able to maintain contact with meat? Uh, are you able to uh, converse with, you know, any of the kids that are in the program? Is that connectivity continuing on for you in any way? You know, I, I, I talked to 11. Um, he's really, I know throughout my career, I would always get just pop-up messages where whether it was after after a game, um, after a season, before a season. Uh, Eleven just always has the he has a special gift of connecting with people, as you guys know, in a way that that most people don't. And um, he could say two words, and it could be good luck with an exclamation mark, and you could feel it. Um, so we've all we've kept we've kept our relationship pretty strong throughout. I wish that. Uh, I, I was more in touch with uh, the baseball program. However, um, it's hard. You know, you, you move on to pro ball and, and your life is consumed by, by the day-to-day grind, whether, whether it's in the minor leagues or the big leagues, it's, it's a grind. And, and mentally, you know, you're really in a place that now that I haven't played baseball in about a year, I can see how different, you know, my mentality was when you're playing every day. You literally kind of go in – almost an outer space type of zone where um, you kind of breathe, eat, and sleep, you know, baseball. So um, I haven't done – well, we haven't kept the best of relationships up, up there. And, and they're great relationships. We just haven't kept in touch as much as um, I would have liked. Um, but I know I don't really ever miss an FSU baseball game uh, when I have the opportunity to watch it. We're talking with Devin Travis. Devin, a little while ago, you mentioned your little brother or your younger brother. Uh, so let's let's shift the conversation there. First, how how big is the age gap between uh, you, you know? I mean, you're you're not a spring chicken anymore, but what's the age gap? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm shoot, I'm 29. I turned 30 next year, and Jordan just turned uh, 20 this year. So uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. It's it's I'm just so excited that I you know I get to see him come out of a locker room on Saturday in that, in that uniform. And I know how much it's, you know, how much he's really wanted to play for FSU since, you know, my days, I think he was 
I was 18. So he was nine years old when I started at FSU and, um, and between him and my younger sister, they, you know, they really have, have breathed and, and lived the Garnet and Gold culture um, since they were just little kids. So it's just awesome to see him living out his dream. How awesome was it for you and the, the rest of the family last week when he, I'm assuming you were watching the game. If you weren't, you've tuned in immediately to just have that moment and enjoy what you were seeing on the field. That was so awesome. That was so awesome. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of, of Florida State first and, and foremost. And, and, you know, it was just really cool to, to see that energy kind of light into the stadium and light into the football team. And, and uh, obviously with it being my little brother, um, that's just um, icing on the cake. I mean, I, I am more nervous when my brother goes in the game than any other at bat or game I've ever suited up for in my life so um I'm on the edge of my seats I know that the, the, my family's on the edge of their seat and uh it's just special man it's it's uh I know how much it means to him and and I don't know if this is getting old or what but I I get I get just a crazy feeling watching someone that you know I love my little brother the, the kid who used to go to my games when he was just a kid and now I kind of get to spin it back uh you know kind of spin the spin the tables back and I get to go and and put on my FSU gear and, and I get to be a fan and I get to sit back and I get to, uh, you know, watch the team that I love and, and, and watch my brother, um, you know, try to, try to lead these teams, this team to victory. So it's really cool. Devin, one of the conversations that will be going on and we're going to let you clear it up. You're going to be the arbitrator here, but Devin has seen, uh, excuse me, Jordan has seen a limited time and he's, he's mainly run the ball. I, for one, have said, others have said, including uh, his coach in the high school level, that he can throw the football. So you, you set us straight. How good is that arm and how accurate is he with a football in his hands? You know, I, I'm a baseball guy, right? And, 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 I, and I almost love watching football more than, than, than baseball. And I've watched my brother grow up and, and play football throughout his life, and he's always – I thought his strength was throwing the ball. Um, listen, I I want Jordan to 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 have the opportunity to go out and 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 prove whatever it is the naysayers have to say, right? And and I think being an athlete, I, I'm I'm it's the norm that that they're always people are always going to find something to say bad about you. I mean, Pat Mahomes is is about the most perfect athlete slash quarterback that's um you know that's out there and and there's critics after the game with the Patriots that um Patrick's Mahomes Patrick Mahomes had a sluggish game so uh, n and that's not me comparing my brother to Patrick Mahomes by any means because he is nowhere close however um the naysayers are kind of all out there and and I want my brother just to have the opportunity to to show everybody I, I can very confidently say that I have seen my brother throw a football very well throughout his entire life. I, I got to the point where I kind of got caught up reading things and I even had to message my brother and say, Jordan, listen, can you not throw? Cause <laughs> I, I've never known any different. Um, and, and to be honest, I think that, that these kids with social media, I probably could confidently say that, he probably started to believe that he couldn't throw. And, and as an athlete, when you kind of get caught up in that social media stuff and you see the negativity and, 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 and 
you get to read how people feel about you and maybe the things that they, they don't have to positively say about you, you can kind of run yourself down a, a, a hole that you can kind of start throwing worse if you believe that you can't throw. And I'm just happy he, he, he's got the opportunity now. And, and as an athlete and as a human period in life, all we ever asked for is an opportunity. And um, I look forward to, to, to watching him prove that he can throw the ball. Um, that's just my biggest thing. I, I'm supporting him. I'm pushing him forward. Um, but just like everyone else, I'm, I'm a fan and I want to see him succeed. And I know all the fans that even doubt him want to see him succeed. And, um, I look forward to that. Devin, forget the arm and, and the legs and what ability he has or doesn't have. It's been a long time since we saw somebody smiling and having fun while on the field for FSU football. And you could see that. Uh, just as the way I commented that you were always very personable and affable uh, back when you were playing for FSU. Is that just the demeanor and the nature of the Travis family? Uh, to, to whom do we owe that kind of disposition? <laughs> uh, you know, I, it, it, it was so cool to, to, to see him smiling and, and having fun out there, you know, sitting at the game and watching it live. You don't really get to see that stuff. I mean, I could see that he had a pep in his step, and I, and I know he's been sitting there keeping his mouth shut and, and, and doing his best not to have to say anything publicly on the fact that he can throw a football and, and, and he can go out there and get the job done. Um, I, I think that, that that was a, probably a combination of, of, of that. Plus the kid grew up every Saturday, you know, next to, to me and my family and listening to me scream at the TV and, and throw the remote at, at FSU football. And I think that's, this is maybe a, a culmination of, of, all of that together and, and you get to see the product that that's out there and, and having fun in sports is, is a big thing that's forgotten. It's, it's, and, and this is what I talk about when you, when you talk about college sports, it's, it's the, the truest and the purest joy of, of sports. And I've always smiled, you know, my, my father and mother have always been a big proponent and, and I don't care what mood you're in. I don't care how well you're playing when someone's, when someone turns on that TV they may only see your face one time and whether you're oh, you haven't completed a pass in your last 20 passes or you're 20 for 20 with six touchdowns, that person may only see you on that TV that one time. And you better never let anybody know whether on TV or in the stands that you're struggling. And um, I think he's always done a good job of that. And that's kind of been a reason why he's been able to have success um, throughout his life. Devin, we'll let you get going here in a couple couple moments. I really appreciate the insight. We're talking with Devin Travis. So I'm curious, did he play baseball at all growing up, or did you play football? I know you, you – I mean, baseball you said was your love and you started early, but did you guys mix the other sports in? You know, I, I dreamt of being a, a, a football player, and, and I wanted to play really my whole life. And my dad um, played college football at Syracuse, and um, he – guy probably for the hits I don't know but he would never let me play football I his little boy wasn't going to go out on the football field and get hurt he said that he always saw something special in me um on the baseball field and my dad literally I played flag football up until tackle football was starting and my dad never would allow me so the running joke was you let Jordan play football um but me no way uh, Jordan played football, baseball really young and one of the coolest stories and I'll try to keep it quick because I probably talked too much but my brother was like six or seven eight years old he was a pretty okay baseball player 
Um, Jordan's also a hell of a lot bigger than me, and we got the same mom and dad. I don't know where he came from or where I came from. But um, he told my dad at a young age that, that he's not Devin and, and, and he's going to, you know, he's going to create his own, he's going to create his own legacy or his own road, whatever you want to call it. And that was the last day he ever played baseball. So um, he's always had a strong personality. He's always really believed heavily in um, what it is he wanted to do. And uh, I'm just happy he stuck with it. Devin, it is great to catch up. We'll let you get running, but good luck to you as you try to, to make it back. Uh, I know you'll land on your feet if it's not back in the bigs. It'll be doing something else. But uh, it's always good to connect. Appreciate your fandom. Uh, I think listeners and fans appreciate when they hear former players who are every bit as vested in their university as what they are. So to hear you convey that, I mean, that's that's impactful. But but thanks and congratulations on the success you've had. Tom, Keith, thank you guys so much. And, uh, yeah, go Noles, baby. Go nose. Get, get that wheel, uh, get that knee healthy. Uh, we want to watch you uh, come next year. <laughs> oh, man. I hope so, man. I miss it every damn day. I miss it. So I hope so. Thank you, guys. All right. Devin Travis, uh, obviously, older brother of Jordan Travis. We can come back and react to that. Uh, just a, a good, high quality individual. Had a great career at Florida State. Uh, has had great success at the big league level. Un- unfortunately, it's been shortened by by injuries but uh, again we'll we'll step aside come back and react this is front row knolls Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. We welcome an old friend of the program and Mike Martin Jr. Uh, meet, we, we teed this up well. We said we're so tired of talking about football. The only logical thing to do is talk about baseball. And so you uh, you got you got the phone call. How are you doing? You doing okay? Yeah, everything's good, Tom. Thanks for asking. We're um, kind of in the books and bodies mode now. Uh, fall ball's over. Just making sure they're getting strong and um, taking care of business in the classroom. Really broad question to start this conversation, Meet, but but how was fall ball? I mean, I think you had a much bigger roster than normal. I'm sure you had different protocols. I don't know if that changed how you practiced to some degree, but just a general assessment of uh, of what you thought of fall ball. Well, I think we got as much done as we possibly could. Um, you know, obviously it wasn't the way we wanted it to be. The, the biggest issues, I mean, we're an outdoor, obviously, and so that some of the you know, protocols aren't as bad for us. Um, but we could only have, you know, eight guys in the cage at a time. They all had to be distanced, masked up anytime you got near somebody. So if a runner got at first base, the first baseman, you know, if he's holding him on, he'd have to put his mask up and same with the base runner. So um, things like that, showering, you know, after we only certain amount in the clubhouse at the time, they had to stagger. But, you know, all in all, we, we, we didn't have any positive tests for, uh, three weeks so I was proud of our guys meet we've talked with the, the basketball staff and, and going back to the, to the March through August time frame you know baseball a little bit like basketball there are some things you can work on individually uh, take us back just by way of reference about uh, how the kids when they finally showed up for ball ball what shape were they in were they in what were they able to do and were you pleased with what they were able to accomplish over the summer getting ready the, the big thing, Keith, was making sure their arms were ready to go. 
that's generally, you know, in our sport, what goes bad is, you know, arm issues. So um, that side, we were good. The physical shape, it was pathetic. Um, you know, we tried to tell, get out and get moving and go for jogs and sprints and make sure you're in great shape. And, you know, that first day was the, the usual. They're all running fast, but they got gas really quick. And, uh, and of course, they're running the wrong way as well. Meet broad statement here, but uh, it's just an indication that I'm not as closely in tune with your program as uh, certainly I once was when I was involved calling the games. But it seems like the thumbnail takeaway is that you got a lot of power arms. And I'm not talking about the signing class yet. I'm just talking about what you had out there this fall uh, and that Reese Albert had a, had a good fall. But, I mean, I, that's, that's very high level, and I'm probably selling about 82 bullet points short. So, so what else were the takeaways from this fall for you? Well, again, it was, it's the same as last year. We've got to play infield defense. We really feel like we're going to pitch. Um, might be even better than last year's staff, to be quite honest. Some of these young pups have come in, and all they wanted was an opportunity to compete, and uh, they've really shown out. Uh, the, the arms that you saw in the Garnet and Gold game, there was four guys that are going to be doing a lot of heavy lifting in that pitching staff that didn't even throw. So, um, And they're mid-'90s guys. So we've, we've got a – a lot of different things that we can do from a pitching standpoint, but the focus was on the infield defense. We took tons and tons of ground balls. We put them in pressure situations. We, uh, the more times they get in those, you know, situations, uh, the better off they're going to be. So that was the focus. Reese did have a good fall. Um, you know, that shoulder, he didn't have a fall the previous year. So uh, that's why he was off to a slow start, but you know, all in all, we got done what we, needed to do and we need to you know had to evaluate a lot it was it was a situation where we scrimmaged just as much as we possibly could to uh, to evaluate guys because with everybody getting another year we've got a giant roster meet i know for you individually defense and base running and those types of fundamentals you learned uh, as you were a player and now as you're as a coach but just talk a little bit about quote unquote, the arms race in baseball, i.e. going after those kids that can get in the upper 90s. Um, that just seems to be where everybody's going. How do, you, how do you recruit to that? How do you develop that? Well, I think the, the biggest thing, first of all, the, the Carson Montgomery's of the world, there, there's no reason for him to be in college. He, he should have, you know, he would have been a high draft pick um, because the pro guys are going to get the, the top, top, power arms there's there's no getting around it so you turn to the development side you know you look at the body type and the arm swing and uh the looseness of the hips and there's a lot of things that we look at when we when we're chasing arms but uh it's a heck of a lot harder to hit those guys than it is the you know the soft toss guys i know there's there's roles for them but they have they can't eat up the bulk of the innings those guys are going to come in and knock out a couple hitters uh, and they're out of the ball game so uh, it's been a, been a long time since we've had, you know, arms like we've got. And it's, um, you know, it makes for the hitters a little frustrating for them. But, you know, all in all, they got to learn to hit it because everybody's got them. You're saying, uh, you know, Carson, because the draft was short in five rounds, you know, you benefited from that. You're going to get him for three years now? Correct. Yeah, and that's a good thing. He, he's special, Tom. He's a, he's a guy that's wired the way you, we like him wired. Um, you know, some of those high-profile guys – you know, have never been coached. Uh, the coaches uh, travel ball in high school. They're scared of them. They just kind of leave them alone. But, you know, Carson is not that way. He's extremely coachable. And he's a great teammate. And it's a, an electric arm. The flip side would be that lots of other programs, though, kept guys or got guys that, that didn't get drafted for the same reason. So, 
is this going to be a low offense, just lights out power pitching type 2021 when we get there? I think it's going to be literally like back in the fifties and sixties. There's more of the seventies. Nobody could hit in the seventies either, but um, because it is, you're, you're right, Tom, everybody's got them. And um, some did better than others, uh, but there are big time arms all over the place. So we're, we got to be multi-dimensional, be able to bunt, steal bases, do whatever we can to, um, you know, push runs across. Michael, don't need to get into to the weeds about it, but uh, Tom mentioned the larger roster size, and you had some kids that were able to take advantage of an extra year. Just in a macro sense, how difficult did it end up being trying to manage that roster, or do you even know yet? Well, you, you got to wait for grades. Um, you know, some problems arise with grades, so – um, we're at 47. That's too many. Um, we're going to have to make some moves. Um, I'm sure some guys are going to see the writing on the wall and, and you know, and bounce to a junior college or uh, Division two or wherever it is that they want to go. Uh, and that's going to be happening all over the country. And, um, you know, we've talked to a lot of schools and, you know, we're at 47, but we're, we're on the low end. There's some people with 58, 59, and I've even heard of 60. So, it's, it's a different landscape, and it's going to take a couple of years. That's something that we discussed on ACC coaches call yesterday, that, you know, there, this is not going to be, you know, one year and kick everybody to the curb, and then you're back to your 35 and, you know, man rostered and 27 on scholarship. They're going to have to give us relief next year as well. Meet, what are the issues that you guys are talking about as coaches? I mean, scheduling, I'm sure, is one roster size, all that. I mean, what are what are the things that are still up in the air as you're trying to plan for the start of your season? Literally, Tom, everything. Um, you know, we don't we don't have a schedule. Uh, there's conferences every now and again saying, okay, we're going conference only. There's some that are saying we don't know. Some are saying everything's status quo. Um, we just called everybody on the schedule and just said, look, we don't we don't know anything. Uh, the SEC, we've gotten word of they're gonna wait until January. Uh, but if you wait until January, how in the world are you going to be getting flights, you know, with a, less than a month after you're playing ball? So um, we're, we've got a big meeting coming up in early December, and I think our conference is going to start pulling the trigger on some things and, um, you know, just deciding what we're going to do. I mean, they say that, uh, you know, uh, when you have to do something, that's when you become more creative. Personally, I thought one of the greatest ideas that has come out, I'd be interested, I, I, I think I know where you fit on it, but, you know, the concept of, of playing three or four team mini tournaments on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, that, that seems to have great appeal uh, for everybody. In a perfect world, yeah, Keith, that'd be great. I don't know that that's going to be allowed anymore, uh, you know, with the whole more people – in the stadium and, and teams coming in contact with each other. And that's another thing we haven't discussed, like, okay, we're going to do the testing. Well, if we bring in a, you know, JU, who's paying for their test? You know, if we, if they don't get tested and don't have the same protocols as the ACC, are we even going to be able to play them? So there's a, a ton of things that are, you know, wide open, but yeah, I love little, little round robins and tournaments and, you know, they're fun for everybody. Well, that's why the Big Ten is talking about no non-conference games unless it's against another Big Ten opponent, I guess, outside their conference schedule. Um, me, this weekend, you know, it, it, it came out that the NCAA basketball is looking at a, a bubble for the entire tournament. Now, that's a higher dollar tournament, but they're, you know, they're considering Indianapolis really for the whole month of March. 
Is there any talk about bubbling the baseball tournament? Uh, you know, I, I'm not suggesting Omaha for all of it, but even beyond it, if you lump the super regionals in or, or anything like that. I haven't heard any of that. Um, I mean, heck, we're just trying to figure out whether we're going to have an ACC <laughs> tournament. Yeah. I know that's still up in the air. There's a lot of coaches that say they don't want to do it. Let's just use that for a weekend of, okay, you know, we had COVID issues and we missed this series with this team and we'll play it that weekend. Um, so again, I, I haven't heard any of that, but I don't think, I don't think that's really, you know, I don't know how they could do it to be quite honest. I mean, again, with the playing each other, that's, that should be, you know, enough in regards to being outdoors and, um, you know, I don't think we need to bubble necessarily. Yeah. Well, let's switch gears. I know uh, it's, I can, I can read the frustration on your face, meet because you've been doing this for months and it's like all of us dealing with this. There's still no clear cut answer. We, we'd all love clear cut answers and they're just not there. Um, yeah, we don't know anymore now, Tom. I swear that we knew in March, you know, we really don't. And, it, you know, we were talking off the air about, okay, well, contact tracing, is that really – you know, I don't know exactly how that works, but it doesn't seem to be effective. There's just so much stuff that it's frustrating. Yeah. Well, tell us about your signing class. It's a good group. It's an athletic group that uh, is versatile. Um, you know, especially that's what something else we didn't discuss that I should have gone more in depth. And it's we were sitting here going, OK, if we do have COVID problems, what's going to happen here? Where are we going to go with this, you know, position so we're we really bounce guys around the infield and the outfield and uh, just trying to make them you know versatile to where if we do run into COVID issues you know we got to still win so um but get back to the class that class is um is top notch we can they can do a little bit of everything we got power arms in there we got athletic kids yes we'll probably lose a couple of them um I say that but then again we don't even know how long the draft's gonna be they're gonna have another short draft and we should be sitting pretty, but uh, it's a really, really good group. That's, um, you know, they a lot of them played together too. You know, some USA stuff. That's always good when they know each other. Meet one of the things that was talked about is uh, again in the big picture is some fundraising, some changes, some additions to Hauser. Um, how I guess disappointing is a, a big word, but um, in, in terms of much needed things. Everything on hold, anything moving forward? What are your thoughts on that? What are you hearing? No, everything's on hold. Uh, we're, we're just in, you know, survival mode, basically. We're, we're, we're worried about the here and the now and, um, you know, making sure our guys are getting fed and, you know, being able to work out. And that's all, and of course, off the field and in the classroom. But um, we have a, everything's on hold. You know, we just got to get through. We got to get basketball up and running. The TV money coming in and, um, you know, win and everything will be fine. And then, of course, the vaccine looks promising. Hey, Meet, uh, b- big picture with a guy you know well and uh, who just coached his team to the to the World Series and Kevin Cash. I, I'm curious not not to go back and, and second guess and or anything like that, but, I mean, it, really the question is about analytics, uh, you know, and relying on analytics. And I'm just curious for you, I know it's more and more a part of the college game too, but how do you balance the analytics versus the gut and the feel and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's um, at their level, um, I don't want to disclose too much, but that's it's all predetermined. They don't have a choice. Like you'll you'll get fired if you don't do because we have so much data. They have more data than we do. We're not at that level yet. Um, you know, 
and I haven't talked to Kevin about it, um, but I, I'm pretty dang sure. My heart of hearts, he was like, I don't want to do this. This guy's rolling, and, um, you know, Snell was. And I don't think he does that unless he's, it's all predetermined. And literally, if you don't do it, you're in big trouble. And, um, you know, it's kind of similar to our Florida game. You know, we planned on Velez going. He had been up to, you know, 85 pitches or what have you, but we were just trying to get three or four, get off to a good start, but he was – rolling and we just said hey stay with him and um you know then went to domestic after that because we felt like you know the stuff wise was a little bit higher jump and velocity still left-handed we'd like to match up so you know I, I do think that the gut you know the feel for how things are going and just what you see the, the old baseball guys versus analytics you got to be careful with that and I think it, it showed there and, and I again in my heart of hearts I don't think Kevin wanted to do it well that begs the question where, where do you fall I'm a combination, you know, um, I, I do think there's an awful lot of data that's extremely beneficial. Um, but again, your eyes don't lie. If you've been in the game long enough, you know, just, just go with those eyes. If you feel got a gut feeling, stay with it. And, um, you know, I think it was Lasorda or somebody was talking about it and how he said he never managed this era because everything's predetermined. And then they got this, the percentages say he's got to come out at this time. But I remember at the time. Yeah, the thing, the thing about it was Snell, when they look at those numbers, okay, when he gets into the fifth inning, he gets to a certain pitch count, this is what happens. Well, that's when he's 93-94. Well, he wasn't 93-94. You know, when they pulled him out, he was 95-98, just blowing people away. So, you know, I was shocked. I was like, oh, no, this this is not good. I was, I was sorry for interrupting. I just remember a time when we would uh, visit with your dad, 10 years, 15 years ago, and, and we'd ask you if it was okay if we got the situational averages, you know, who, who was batting what against a left-hander versus a right-hander, and he'd give the old evil eye. No, That's you're right. not getting that. You're not getting that. That's some private stuff. And now we got – everybody knows everything about everybody, so it's it's definitely changed. Yep. Hey, Meet, it's good to catch up. Hang in there. Uh, at some point, we'll actually have this in the rearview mirror, but uh, keep plugging along. That's all you can do. We'll do it, Tom. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. All right, Take care. Mike, Mike Martin, Jr., Seminole Baseball Skipper. Oh, no.